so today we actually are going to kick off a new series, uh, a four-week series again on generosity, and that sounds pretty cool, right? Uh, the genius of generosity. Um, we are going to talk about what does it look like to be a generous person, and here, here I just think it's important for me to say this, but um, I, want to, I want to give you a little bit of clue as to why we're going to spend four weeks talking about generosity, because for some of you, the moment I said generosity, you're probably grabbing your wallet. Um, or you're thinking, okay, where are we going to go with this? Is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Am I going to feel, you know, how am I going to feel about this? And, and I think uh, as I've observed Christians uh, throughout the years, and, and I'm maybe just being honest about my own heart, uh, when I hear people talk about giving or generosity or, or any of those kind of things that, that money is involved, uh, two primary emotions sort of surface. Uh, one is shame. Uh, like I already feel some guilt about how I spend money at times, that I am either spending it unwisely, I'm not saving it wisely, or uh, maybe I'm just, I'm not giving it generously. So I start to feel some guilt. And so when I hear somebody say, hey, we're going to talk about money or generosity, uh, there's a little tension in me. Uh, And I'm sure if you are anything like me, that you probably feel that as well. And so sometimes it's just the shame factor. Uh, and people, in, in fact, I would say uh, there's some, some church leaders who represent the name of Christ, who stand up on their Sunday, in Sunday morning uh, in their churches, and they say things that are very manipulative, very controlling, and they try to basically um, strong-arm people into, fear people into, giving to the church. And so maybe some of you come in with that baggage this morning. I'd be... Um, I would not be surprised if there's some of you in this room that feel that way, that spiritual leaders have abused their platform and tried to get you to give to them from a, a motive that I would say is not biblical. Can I just say that out loud? So that's been there for some of us. The other emotion that really starts to springboard, and this is actually comes out of this, this idea of we've, we've been shamed into it, really is because we have experienced maybe some of those things. We have some suspicion. Wait, now, what's the point? What, what, what's the catch, right? Waiting for that moment when we're going to turn the corner and say, you know, it's all these things, but we really want you to give. We need your money, right? And so people get suspicious when they hear uh, spiritual leaders talk about money. And so culturally, uh, there are a lot of things going on, but I, I want to give you three reasons why uh, we're talking about generosity for the next three weeks. Just three. I'll, I'll try to keep these brief. Number one, culturally, we have a problem with money. Uh, we have a problem specifically with greed, uh, if you look around, you're going to see that, that a lot of people, uh, and, and myself, if I, again, if I'm completely honest, we can be caught up in this greed uh, machine, if you will, because we are regularly enticed to continue to pile up for ourselves, accumulate for ourselves treasures, um, stuff, right? And so with that cultural problem of, of us always wanting to get more, and, and here's the problem with greed, is that it's, it's really an insatisfiable, insatiable uh, desire for more. So you, the more you get, the more you want. It, it never really gets to a point where all of a sudden you're like, okay, I've got enough. And, and I know this to be true because when they've asked people of varying degrees of wealth uh, how much is enough, they always say a little bit more, Right? That's always the answer. Well, just a little, if I could just get a little more secure in this or I could a little more secure in this. So culturally, we want to address this issue that's really permeating. And this is a great time of year to do it because we're, we're going into uh, Thanksgiving not too far from now. And one of the things that robs us of gratitude is, is greed. 
believing that we still need more or feeling entitled to more. So we, we are forgetful and being thankful for what God has already given us, right? Because we're only thinking about what we don't have instead of what we've been given. And I know that some of you from generations uh, past, like the greatest generation, this may not be as strong of an issue for you, at least not surface the same way. I've got, I had grandparents that they lived very frugally, they, very, they were very cautious with their money, uh, and, and they, they were very careful with their money, calculated all those things. And so I, I didn't see them struggle in the same way that I now see the current generation, but I, I do still see that even amongst my grandparents' generation, uh, hoarding money or being really greedy could still be there because it's always been there. In fact, when Jesus was talking and walking the earth and he was teaching, you know what he taught a lot on? Money. You know why he taught a lot on money? Because if you read the Bible, you will learn pretty quickly that one of the chief competitors for worship for God, for our worship for God, is money. It has this weird way of getting a root in our heart and really keeping us from following God, following his plan. It can create fear, it can create anxiety, it can create all these, these emotions that really keep us from walking with God. So that's one of the first reasons we want to, we want to talk about this is because culturally we have a problem. We have greed. And generosity is one of the most practical tools, if not the most practical tool, that God has given us to overcome greed. It's the most practical antidote to greed. Because when you learn to have an open heart and say, God, it's not what I can get but what I can give, you're freed up if you will, to really be gracious with people and generous with others. And it's, it's really fun. Uh, this, the second thing, that we're wanted, the reason we wanted to address this is because I really want everyone in this room to experience the riches of what God offers us in Christ. He says in John 10 that Jesus came to give life. Okay, now he, he kind of set up next to this verse, it says the enemy, Satan, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief right? But Jesus came to bring life and life to the fullest. So if that's the case, the question is, is why aren't we experiencing life to the fullest? And I think because we don't always obey him or follow his wisdom in our life, and so we're not experiencing the fullness of what he has for us. And this is an area where a lot of Christians are held captive. They're enslaved to materialism, to consumerism. And I want every one of us in this room to really walk in the freedom that is offered to us in Christ, specifically in the area of money. It's something that can, again, quickly own us and sidetrack us and enslave us even. And the third reason I want to talk about generosity for the next three weeks is because Jesus deserves our honor in every area of our life. Like, Jesus isn't just about a couple of areas. He's not just about our relationships. He's not just about our work. He's about every area of our life. And this is an area where a lot of times I see, as I interact with people, and I even, again, thinking about my own heart, can sort of put this issue over here and say, God, you can have all these things, just don't mess with that thing. And so we want to be free in every area. We want to honor Jesus in every area because he gave his whole life so that we could give our whole lives. And so we want to be completely honest. Now, as we get started, let me ask you a question. Just two questions, actually. These, I hope, hopefully these are pretty simple. But do you, or maybe I should just say raise your hand, do you want to be known as a generous person? If yes, raise your hand. Okay, let's see, let's see, right? All right, looks like most people, most people, all right. Let me ask you a second question. Do you want to be known as a greedy person? Raise your hand. What? Oh, we got one. Okay, that's good. 
Honesty. I love the children, right? I want to be known as a greedy person. Now, listen, that's really silly, isn't it, to put those two questions. Do you want to be known? I'm coming this morning with the belief that all of us in this room want to be generous. Like, we want to be generous with others. I think we want to be generous with our resources. Uh, And I don't think anyone in this room came today saying, I hope I'm known as a greedy person. I hope that when, I, when they have my funeral, they all stand up and say, man, he was so greedy, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that on their tombstone, the greediest man who ever lived, right? That, that, that's just silliness. So I'm coming from a place this morning where I'm really convinced that we want to be generous. We don't want to be greedy. But if it was as simple as just saying, I want to be generous, I don't want to be greedy, we could just close our Bibles, walk out the door, and let's go be generous. But it's not that simple, is it? It's not easy to actually live that out, even though our desire, especially if you're a Christ follower, is to be a generous person. It's a lot more challenging than that. Um, can I be honest for a second about something that God revealed even this past week in my heart? You know, a week ago was uh, Halloween, and uh, we all went out and enjoyed uh, getting some Halloween candy. Actually, I let my kids go, and then they bring it back to me. It's beautiful. And, um, and so all this week, I've eaten too much chocolate. It's been great. Um, but one of the interesting things that happened is we were at our Halloween party in our front yard and we had a bounce house and we were uh, serving some s'mores and, and the, over the last few years we've actually served hot dogs. And these uh, hot dogs, you know, we just go out and get a bunch of, bunch of hot dogs, grill them up and then we, we serve them to everybody as they come by. And, and our neighborhood actually decided to do a hot dog supper before trick-or-treating time this year. And so in light of that I was like, well... They're already doing it. Let's don't do hot dogs. But we went ahead and grilled out some stuff. So we grilled out some ribs and some chicken. And then we actually did a few hot dogs and we put them aside uh, just for our kids because we knew after they went trick-or-treating they are going to be hungry. And I was going to be hungry because I didn't want to eat a hot dog, right? So we did all that. And about 8.30, you know, trick-or-treating is still going strong. And this little girl walks up to me and she says, Mr., can I have a hot dog? And I guess she had come last year. And so she'd been waiting to get to our house so she could eat a hot dog. So I'm like, yes, you can have a hot dog. So I walk over to the table, and I get a hot dog, and I put it in there, and I, I, I walk over, and I hand it to her, and I'm like, here you go. She's like, thank you so much. You know, she's dressed up like a little cat, um, which I won't hold that against her, actually. But, um, and, and I turn back around in time to see 30 people descending on our table of food. And they are wiping everything out as fast as they can. I mean, every hot dog bun, every chip, every, everything on that table, including my ribs, by the way. And, and so I run as fast as I can, and I grab my tray of ribs, and I yank them up, and I run them in the house, and I set them down and say, my ribs. And I was very proud of myself, right? Now, I tell you that silly story because... Here's the truth. My heart in that moment was like, you are not getting my ribs. I will be generous with the hot dog, even though I'm really bothered by that too. But you are not having my ribs. You see, all of us have these things in our hearts, these emotions going on, these these issues. and, And there's that part of us that we're struggling with, we're wrestling with. So I'm not exempt from this issue of struggling with being generous with others, especially when it comes to meat, okay? So I want us to look at two quick definitions because we said the title of this series is The Genius of Generosity because every series just has to have a title, right? But these two key words, genius and generosity. When you guys hear the word genius, 
this is just a, a simple definition for you. It actually comes from a Latin word uh, that means to produce. But the idea here is that genius is brilliant intellect and capacity to produce. So when you guys hear of a genius, you usually think of a high IQ. But it's not just being intellectually savvy. It's actually having a capacity or a skill set to produce. I know some really, really smart people. And I'm thankful uh, that God's given those people to us on the planet. They do some great things with that intelligence, right? Uh, and they, they definitely help produce some good things for us. So geniuses are, are, are great. We're glad that they're around. But to be genius is to be basically brilliant and being able to use that brilliance for good things. The second thing is this. Uh, not only do we want to be genius, but generosity. We want to be gen- generous geniuses. And, and the word gen- uh, generous in the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament first, is the idea uh, of this water being poured out on a rock so much that it like literally just absorbs all of it and then it just starts to overflow or a sponge. You kind of get that idea that it's literally just overflowing with life. It's kind of the Hebrew word for, for generous. And in the New Testament, we actually get the idea of liberality. So um, available willingness, readiness to distribute, readiness to give, readiness to, to, to give out to others what they need, but do that liberally, to do that like generously. You get you following? So that's what it means. So when we say we want to be uh, geniuses in generosity, we're saying that we believe that being generous is genius, that it's bright, that it's intelligent, that it's a good thing to be, to be generous. And I think most of us in here, again, would probably agree with that. So there's sort of a definition we want to come through the, over the next four weeks because my hope is to convince us in the room that if you don't believe that it's genius to be generous, by the end of the, the series, hopefully you will, okay? And as we dive into the text, I want you guys to go ahead and pull your Bibles out. We're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're just going to work through these verses over um, the next four weeks. We're going to work through chapter 8 and chapter 9, and this morning we're going to actually look at the first nine verses in 2 Corinthians 8. The verses are on the screen. There's also some Bibles below the chairs. If you guys need to grab one of those, feel free to pick one of those up and use it. I'm actually reading from the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible translation. So um, if you guys want to read along with me, that'd be great. Here, let me read these first five verses to us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Now I'm going to stop there for now. We're going to cover the other four verses here in a minute. I want to give you a little bit of context so you kind of know where this scripture is picking up. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the people of Corinth, and as he's writing this letter, he is actually encouraging the Corinthian people to get involved in giving a love offering to help support believers in Jerusalem. Now, if you don't know the Bible real well, um, you might not know, but the early church was actually birthed in Jerusalem. It started, it was founded in Jerusalem. And so the apostles, they preached the message. Peter, in particular, preached the message, and the church started to grow, expand, massive growth. 3,000, 5,000 in the first two sermons, and so real incredible growth. But instantly there was a problem, because once these people converted to following Jesus, gave their hearts to Jesus, proclaimed Jesus, were baptized, they were identifying themselves as followers of Jesus, even though Jesus had been crucified and now was gone, 
they were facing persecution. They were facing some hardship. And so difficulty was going on in Jerusalem because now they couldn't get jobs. Uh, people were, were not helping them. Uh, people, and, and it wasn't just from the Jewish people who were uh, definitely against Christ. It, you know, Christ had messed with all their system. And so they weren't happy about that. But also the Romans. The Romans were starting to become fearful because they saw the power in this Christian community. And they wanted to kind of squelch that. And so about this time, the Romans really start picking up their persecution towards Christians. They start killing Christians. And again, uh, these Christians needed some help from the outside just to get food on their table, just to survive, just to make it. And so Paul has been going in his missionary journeys to these different Gentile cities. And as he's there, he says, would you consider giving a gift to send back to Jerusalem, the home base of Christianity, if you will, at that time in the world? Would you, be, would you, would you consider that? And the Corinthian people had said, yes, we'll consider it. But then, as a lot of us, their good intentions turned into no action. They actually had kind of lost sight of what they had said they were going to do. And we're going to talk next week about some of the, the barriers that we have to generosity. But this morning, Paul is actually, I want to encourage you, Paul is giving us an example from these Macedonian Christians about how they handled the request to give. How they handled the, the need that was before them of their brothers and sisters in Christ there in Jerusalem. Are you still tracking with me? So that's the context. So then he starts speaking out here in verse 1. He's talking directly about the example of these Macedonian Christians and how they, again, responded to this need. And I want to just give you kind of four things that we can notice as we look at this that describes how the Macedonians gave. The first one you'll see in verse 2, which says, During a severe testing by their affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Anybody else like going, wait, what? Did I read that right? They were super poor, but they were incredibly generous. Now, can I, can I be honest with you for a second? I, I thought that generosity was reserved for rich people, right? People who have a lot. I mean, in my life, there have been times. It's either really rich people can be generous or really, really, really mature Christians can be generous. But the average person can't be generous. But the Bible actually says, no, that's not it at all. Every person can be generous. And in fact, it's not just about money. And we'll talk about that in a second. So he says that while they are under their own sort of persecution, they're struggling they're, being, um, they're dealing with hardship. And if you've ever been overseas, uh, stuff like this still goes on in the world. I've been in places in, in uh, Central Asia and in Southern Asia and in Indonesia. And I've been in those different places. And in, in every one of those areas, when people come to faith and they walk away from their, their family's religion, they deal with persecution. And so literally, uh, there are men and women who've decided to follow Jesus at the sake of not having enough food on their table of not being able to take care of their kids because no one will give them jobs, no one will, will speak to them, literally. They'll be shunned from their villages. And I just have to stop here and say something that's really, really important, okay? If you believe or I believe that being a Christian means that you're going to be wealthy and have a fat bank account, we need to think again, Okay? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't provide. He does. In fact, Scripture says plainly, He provides for all of our needs according to His glorious riches. But we don't follow Jesus so that we have a big 401k. We don't follow Jesus so that we get a bigger paycheck. We follow Jesus because He's worthy and He takes care of us. 
But if you look at the track record of the New Testament Christians, the apostles, you look at Jesus himself, he didn't have a lot. Now, I'm not telling you, again, I don't want to go too far down this trail this morning. We're going to come back to this later in the series. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to have money. But I am telling you that if somebody sells you a bill of goods, that if you would just give to them or if you would just uh, follow Jesus, then you're not going to have any financial worries. (laughs) Clearly, they have not read the Bible. Because people following Jesus still struggle. But their hope is in something bigger. Because our riches aren't just here and now. They're then and there. And when I say then and there, I'm talking about heavenly riches, right? And I'm thankful for that. So be very careful if you hear teachers promising you lots of money, you know, this side of heaven. Follow Jesus and you'll have a big house. Follow Jesus. No, actually, most of the people who have the biggest houses are those guys standing up saying that stuff. Right? Because they're padding their own pockets with the resources that are coming from people, many people who are very poor. So be very careful and be on guard against those kind of teachings. But notice what it says here. It says that the joy is what really drove their hearts. That in the midst of their extreme poverty, they were incredibly gracious and generous. Why? Because their joy was not on their circumstances, but on Christ. They had joy. They had joy in their hearts, and it was driving them. So they gave joyfully. They were excited despite the hardship they were dealing with. That's, that's convicting right there, right? That's hard. So sec- the, the second thing you'll notice in verse 3 says this, I testify that on their own, according to their ability, and beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. So what is he saying? They gave sacrificially. They didn't just give from their surplus. They didn't just give because, hey, they'd stowed away some money for a rainy day and thought, well, maybe this is a good time to use it. No, they're saying, like, literally, they gave beyond their ability. Um, that's, again, this is kind of crazy. This is a little bit upside down. This is a little bit different than what we typically hear when we think about giving and generosity. They gave beyond their means. One story immediately popped into my mind this week as I was re- reviewing the text and thinking through was there. And there's a story where Jesus is with his, his disciples and they're there at the temple. And uh, I, I know you guys would all love this, but the way they would give their offerings back in the day is they actually had these offering coffers, these offering uh, buckets, if you will, at the front. And people would walk by and give their offering in front of everybody. And so, you know, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, they loved this because they would kind of make a parade and a show out of it. And they're like, hey, look at me, you know, strutting their stuff and like putting their money in there. It's like, I'm great, you know, I've, I've tithed, I've given all this money. And it says that in the middle of the, this, this scenario where Jesus is there with his, his disciples, that there's a widow. You guys know the story? And she steps up and she gives a widow's mite, that's what they call it, like a penny. And she sticks it in there and Jesus is amazed. And he just stops everybody and says, did you see that? You see, because generosity is not about the amount, it's about the sacrifice. It's not about how much we give. It's a question of, are we giving it from a heart that says, God, I trust you. And for some of you, you're like, man, that's crazy. Why would you, does, does God not care about this lady? Does he not want her to have some food? Does he want, not want her to, to you know, not be able to take care of herself? No, listen, she trusted God would take care of her. And so in this moment, she wanted to give. She wanted to, to give, and, and, and these people were the same way. They wanted to give, Beyond their ability. In fact, verse 4 tells us the next thing. They begged us. Anybody in here ever begged someone, can I give to you please? 
church, can I, can I, you know, can I give to the church? Come on, please, somebody let me give. I just got to give. I can't, I can't imagine what that would look like, right? I testify that on their own, they, they, they gave, but it says they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. That's incredible. They begged, they pleaded. In fact, it even goes into verse 5, the, the very first part of verse, verse 5, where it says, and not just as we had hoped, which in the Greek language says that Paul had looked at them and said, listen, guys, you guys got to stop giving. You're going to give away, away everything you have. Don't, don't do that anymore. Like, don't, you don't need to give anymore. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? <laughs> Literally, we look at the church and say, hey, listen, just stop giving because we don't know what to do with all the money yet. So, but Paul's saying, listen, um, you guys, your example was phenomenal because you guys begged us for the privilege of sharing the ministry to the saints. And it was beyond what we even asked for. You exceeded that. And then finally, verse 5 tells us a fourth thing. It says that, and not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves. Listen, a generosity is not just about money. I said that earlier, and I'm going to repeat it again. Generosity is not just about money. Generosity is about our lives being offered to God. Being offered to say, God, whatever you want to do. It says it gave themselves. Their time, their ability, their energy, their resources to God. True generosity actually, in many ways, just starts with money. As in, it's kind of step one in many ways. It's a foundational thing. So the question I have to ask myself and the question we're going to ask for the remainder of our time is how do we actually grow to be generous like these people? Because this is a pretty phenomenal example. Um, it, it's, it's really wild to, to, to look at the way that they have, they have operated to this point. So how do we grow to become more like the Macedonian believers? Well, let me start out by simply saying that when we have a generosity problem, what we really have is a perspective problem. When we have a generosity problem, like when we're struggling to be generous with others, when we're struggling to have uh, the desire to, to be involved in investing in other people and serving other people, uh, giving of our time and our talent and our treasure, use those three T's, when we're struggling with that, it's because we have a perspective problem. It's not just a generosity problem. Because notice what it says in verse 6. Actually, the end of 5, I think we'll start there. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Notice what he's saying. Generosity is first upward, then it's outward. It's first upward, then it's outward. It's surrendering to God first and saying, God, you know what? I realize that everything that I have is really not mine, it's yours. I'm a steward of it. And God, I surrender it to you, I submit to you, and I know for some of you in this room, as soon as I said that, you're like, what? I worked for this stuff. I, I, I spent my blood, sweat, and tears earning what I have. So don't tell me it belongs to somebody else. It belongs to me. And you start acting like me and my ribs, okay? Listen, when we come, generosity starts with coming to God, saying, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to surrender to you. Because everything ultimately is a gift from you. It's from your provision. It's upward first. It's, it's me coming to God, seeing that it's about him. It's about what he has done. And again, we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. 
but it's a, an upward first and then an outward. It's surrendering ourselves and our hearts to God. And this is by far the hardest part, I think, is really seeing it this way. Really seeing life through the lens that God is in charge and I'm not. That God is in control and I'm not. That God is the one who gets to decide if we're Christ's follower, where my resources go, where I invest them, how I use them, because I'm really just a steward of his stuff. So, the second thing you'll notice as we think about this perspective problem is that generosity is not just an upward and then an outward thing, but generosity is first internal and then external. Similar to what we said last time, but let me, let me um, read verse 7 and 8 to you guys. Now as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, you see Paul setting them up, right? He's saying, you're really great, guys. Really, really great. But excel in this gift as well. Excel in this grace as well. Let me say this a different way. A mature believer is inseparable from generosity. A mature believer will be a generous person. Uh, You cannot divorce generosity from the believer, from the life of a mature follower of Christ. And notice what 8 says. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. So I know this verse right here explains to me very clearly that I cannot stand up here on stage and just say, be generous, right? Just command everybody, go be generous. And that would work. It's not going to work right? It's not going to work because, first off, in the United States, we don't like being told what to do. Uh, and, and second of all, because just giving you external pressure to be generous might get you to, to try it, but you're not going to stay generous because it's not a good engine. Uh, fear-based or even authority-based kind of focus on trying to just make you do something doesn't work. It doesn't work with my kids, right? Parents, you know, when they're young, that's great. You can, like, help your kids learn something. And you can, you, can, you, can, you can actually get your kids to do something. But they soon outgrow and realize, you know what? That didn't hurt that bad. I was only five minutes in the corner. And that heart starts to get involved. And they, they, they go right back to whatever it is they want to do. Because we, we know that instruction and training helps us. But our hearts have to be changed. It has to be transformed. Because it's an inside thing. Notice what even Paul says. He says, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Your love. And the only way for our hearts to move, be moved to love people is to recognize the greatness of his love for us. It's the only way that our hearts will truly begin to love people. Now, let me just step away from money and generosity for just a second and just say, this is the Christian life. Uh, This isn't just about giving. This isn't just about being generous. This is about all of our Christian life. Some of you may not know this. And so let me make sure that you, you are clear. As Christians, we are not just about enforcing morality on people. Our job is not to just make better versions of you. Right? We don't want to just make people who are good people. In fact, we we number one, we can't. But number two is that we are to be made new people in Christ. Not just better people, but new people. Not just, not just people who are surviving and getting kinder 
more gracious, any of those things, but, but people who are radically transformed and new. The way the scripture says is that we were dead before Christ and now we are alive. That's a, that's a complete different thing than just trying to become moral people. And as we become alive in Christ, we become new in Christ, it will shape everything. So let me go back to what I said while I go. Vertical changes the internal, right? And then the outward or the external is transformed. All of our issues in our life, marriage, you want to radically transform your marriage? Learn to walk with God. When you start to walk with God, he will change your heart toward your spouse. When you start to walk with God, listen, he will change your heart toward your children, parents. When you start to walk with God, he will start to transform the way that you see your work. Because that's the way that the kingdom works. God changes us from the inside out, not the outside in. That's why even in Scripture in Romans 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not be conformed to some rules, but be transformed, as in be made new. Go through a process of completely being made new. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. So if we want to be generous people, back to our point that Paul's making here, that's going to happen as God transforms our hearts changes us. But still it seems like this is not quite enough. And I want to tell you why. Because Paul's been building up to verse 9. And I want you, if you've got your Bible, I want you to pull it out. I want you to highlight, underline, circle, star this next verse we're about to read. Okay? It's okay to write in your Bible in case you needed that permission. Notice what verse 9 says. For you know the what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, this reminds us he's talking to believers. Not to unbelievers, not to, to just people checking things out. But to people who believe in Christ and follow him. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that grace? That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. God in the person of Jesus, came and he emptied himself, is what scripture says. He bankrupted heaven, to use that language. Came down and became a man, dwelt among us, so that we could have forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and the riches of his grace and mercy. So what that is saying to us this morning is that the greatest motivator to generosity is a generous God. Because all generosity True generosity, pure, undefiled generosity, it is flowing from the heart of an extravagantly gracious God, and we get to be conduits of it. This morning, there will be a tension for us about this issue of money, as I said earlier, that if I said, hey, we need to be more generous, we go, man, I'm going to try harder to be more generous. And let me just remind you again, that we on our own cannot sustain generosity. But when we become a conduit of God's generosity, as in we receive from him his generosity towards us, it will flow out of our lives naturally. In fact, you won't even have to think about it because you will see needs and you will meet needs because you have, your needs have been met in the person of Jesus. He says that we would become what? Rich. You're like, I don't feel rich. <laughs> God, have you seen my bank account? Have you seen the struggles that I've got going on? 
That's a whole other conversation for another day because we live outside of our means a lot of times. But I want you to know that, listen, God has given you everything you need. He's given us everything we need in Christ. So we are rich. But notice what he says at the beginning of that verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is making a statement to believers, and he is assuming that they know the grace of God. Here's my question to us as we close this morning. Do you know the grace of God in Christ Jesus? Do you know that? Here's the Bible. If you want it, the Bible in a nutshell. God creates a perfect world. Mankind rebels against God and breaks that relationship with God and with one another. But God in his gracious, redemptive love sends his son to rescue us from ourselves. And when by faith we receive that gift of forgiveness, our relationship was made right and reconciled with him. And now we no longer are under his wrath, but we are under his grace. And we are now protected until he takes us home and he comes and restores the broken world. That is the beauty of the gospel. And that is what causes us to be generous people is the good news. We were broken, we were helpless, and he came to us. That's what drives generosity. That's what compels us. So my job isn't to control you. My job is not to command you. My job is to compel you with the grace and the love of God to be generous because he's been generous to us. He's been so generous to us. Let's pray.